welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host, Sarah Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. And tell the show, we're talking about I Invest for the mailbox money, how to invest in real estate the right way. And this actually comes off an article that, Andrew, you recently wrote for The Post down in Wellington, which is on stuff where you're talking about the different strategies people can use to invest in property. And because today, the day that this podcast gets released, is the fourth anniversary of the Property Academy podcast. Four years together. Four years of every single day releasing a show. I wanted to take it back to the whole reason why we invest in property from the very beginning. So why are we going to go out and get into a whole heap of debt and buy properties and potentially top them up and take on the risk of getting tenants and the risk that the property might be damaged in a natural disaster and all of the risks that come with property. Why are we going to go out and actually do them? Well, it's because we're looking for an outcome at the end. And so that's what we're going to talk about. So of course, we are going to talk about the nest egg strategy. We're also going to talk about the golden goose strategy. But all of the things that we talk about when we talk about nest egg and golden goose, and you know, you guys who have listened for a while will we'll know what those terms mean. We'll get into them more in a little bit. But it's all about having some pot of money at the end you know, getting to, to a goal, and that might be retiring early at 50 or it might be retiring late at 70, but having a pot of money that you can then do things with. And it actually reminded me of a clip, and Andrew, you know what clip I'm about I to play. I know exactly the clip. So one of my favourite shows is Shark Tank. The other favourite is Dragon's Den. And Mr. Wonderful is probably our mutual favourite shark. Oh, no, no, no. If we're talking about Dragon's Den, I've always liked Deborah Meaden. Oh, no, no, no. We didn't say, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I'd say, I oh, know my favourite's probably Theo Pavidus. Yeah, yeah. Or it's because he's always. Mrs. <laughs> <laughs> he's always trying to, or Tuka Suleiman. Oh, I like that. Because he's Tuka. always trying to get a deal. Oh, do an office lease. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be doing that next time you try to start a business. But I want to play you this clip from Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, because it kind of summed it all up for me. You have to get to a place where you have $5 million in the bank because you can survive the rest of your life no matter what happens and your family. You can take care of a lot of people making 6 or 7% of $5 million. When you make that, you have to set that aside and you don't risk it. Then after that, you can start to take risk capital and put it to work. Now, I don't think $5 million is the right number in New Zealand. I don't think we all need to get to the point we've got $5 mil in the bank and we do something. But for a lot of the investors that we work with, somewhere between two and two and a half mil is really what they're trying to get to, where they've got that amount of money in the bank, we're investing in property so that eventually we have that when we're 65 or 60 or whenever we want to stop working and have those options so that we can do something with it. And then Andrew, what do we do with it once we have that pot of money? So once you've got to the point where you've actually got this intangible, well, not tangible cash, but, you know, a dollars on your screen at the bank, that's when you can decide, okay, maybe I'm going to go down the golden goose strategy where I'm going to generate an income to live off. And the way you do that is you go out and you buy two or three high-yielding rental properties, but with no or very little debt. So you're actually going and doing that with your cash rather than needing the bank at this stage, or, or some people have a little bit of debt, but not a lot. And then because you don't have a mortgage to pay, you've got the rent coming in, and yes, yes you've got some other expenses like your rates and your insurance and your maybe a body corporate, depending on what you're buying and your accounting fees. But the bulk of the money, the rent that's coming in, you get to actually keep and you get to spend that. It's effectively what we're trying to get to if you're using the golden goose strategy is we want to have two or three rental properties that are mortgage-free and you just live off the rent. That's what eventually funds your lifestyle. But you can only do that 
if we go through the hard times of investing in property, investing in growth properties, maybe doing some renovations, if that's your strategy, and building up your wealth so that you get the pot of money and then you've got the options. And one of those options is to buy rental properties, no mortgage, just live off the rent. That's one of the things that you actually can do. And again, everything we talk about on the show over the last four years, whether it's how to deal with tenants, whether it's how to deal with healthy homes regulations or tax regulations, it's all about how do we get into that position? That's the reason that we are talking about tenancy law and tax law and healthy homes and which areas go up in value the fastest because we're trying to build up the wealth so we get into that position. And Andrew, can you give us an example of maybe an investor you've worked with who's actually done that? Yeah, so one of the great ones that I really enjoyed because it was someone that came to meet me later on in their life and had some kind of challenges financially because, so it's Tanya from the book, um, Wealth Plan, anyone that's read that, she was a single lady, she was raising a couple of kids, they were teenagers I think at the time that she met me, she was 57 and you know, just a single lady on a single income who had started a few years earlier, she'd been investing in property, but she wasn't a millionaire, multi-millionaire or anything like that. She was just a, a humble lady wanting to have a retirement where she didn't have to rely on the government and she didn't have to rely on her kids. And so what she had to do to be able to get there is buy another two rental properties, which she worked with me to help do, and she managed to build up her equity to a point where she could sell those properties pay off the mortgages, take the cash, and then reinvest that in the high-yielding properties that we're talking about, the jockey apartments, room-by-room rentals, hotel rooms, the things that don't give you as much growth but give you a much superior income. And then that gives her enough income to, every week after she has all of her bills paid, there's $1,500 before tax that comes in that she can effectively spend, and then she also gets the government superannuation. And that's what we're really talking about. When we're talking about the mailbox money and that specific article that you released, Andrew, it's that idea that it's just checks arriving in the mail now that you're then able to live off. And that's what we want to get in the position to. And I'll tell you another option of if you get to the point where you've got that big pot of cash, what can you do with it? The other option is the nest egg strategy. And that's where you don't put the money into property, but you might sell up those properties, put it into a term deposit, and just live off the cash. and eventually spend it all. In some ways, that can be a little bit better because it doesn't cost as much because you're just going to spend the money you've got, depending on some different factors. But of course, you've then got to guess, well, at what time are we going to, going to pop off this earth? And eventually, you are going to run out of cash. So that's something to, to think about as well. And I'll give you a really good example. I met this fantastic couple when I was, I was on a boat down, I in, down in Fiordland. And I was doing, doing a tour because my ex-partner ran tours for older people, and it was very nice, couldn't find to go along to this one. And I remember sitting down with this old couple, I think they were kind of in their late 70s, and they would fly around the world going on all of these nice trips. And I said, you know, like, what have you done? And they said, well, we were both scientists, you know, working for the government, earning kind of normal money. They lived in a great suburb, St. Hallie is in Auckland, which is very affluent, but at the time that they bought into it, it probably was just very normal. And they ended up buying two properties, doing pretty much everything we would suggest against these days because they, they lived in St. Helia, so they bought two properties next door. As rentals. As rental properties, rented them out. But because they increased in value so much, by the time they got older, they sold them, had a big pot of cash, and they could afford to go on holidays. Now, what was really interesting about this couple, I remember their names, but of course won't say it on the show, was that they're actually quite humble people. 
I remember talking to the lady and we were talking about our favourite cinemas in Auckland. Now, there's this great one in Oraki, which is called Silky Otter. We've got one oh, down yeah. here in Christchurch. Really, really nice cinema. I said, oh, that's, all, that's my favourite because I lived kind of near her. It's quite bougie, right? Quite bougie. She said, no, no, no. I go to Mission Bay, Berkeley because on Tuesdays there's $10 seniors tickets. So, so I go to that because it's a bit cheaper. So it's not that they were spending up lavishly, but they chose what they wanted to spend on. And for them, you know, they went on this awesome, you know, and it was a wonderful time, went on this nice boat down in Fiordland and were, was able to kind of see New Zealand. And that's a really good example of the nest egg strategy because what are they doing? They've bought these houses, they've eventually sold it, and then they were gradually living off that money. And it really gave them options to do whatever they wanted to do later on in life. I mean, do you have an example of maybe the, the nest egg strategy in practice? Yeah, so I can remember some Wellington investors I worked with, Bruce and Carol. He was a bit older than her. He was 49 and she was 46. Now, they had, when they came to see me, they'd paid off a big chunk of their personal mortgage, but they hadn't really done a lot for retirement. And so they end up buying a, a total of three rental properties over a number of years, not all at once, obviously. Built those up to a point where they could sell them, pay off the mortgages, and put a lump of cash in the bank. Now, this is a little bit different because they don't then go out and buy freehold properties. They're just going to erode that capital over a number of years. And because their ages were quite similar, statistically, they might live to 85 to 90 kind of thing. So they could do some modeling around how long that money was going to last. And it worked out that they could spend about $57,000 a year of today's money, inflation adjusted. What they'd do is they'd put aside all of their money in a term deposit minus the $57,000 they wanted to spend this year. And then over the course of the year, they'd use that 57000 and then their term deposit would roll over, they'd have another influx of cash, and then they'd rinse and repeat, do that same thing over and over. And I think from memory, what they did with their term deposit as well is they actually had another 57000 that they put on six monthly, just in case they had any unexpected bills crop up, and so they could renew that, so they always had access to another cash injection if they needed it or wanted it. And the really important thing is that everything else we talk about on the podcast, like our My Wealth Plan software, which we released publicly when we launched the book, you know, this is just about, well, how do we run the numbers so we know how much wealth we actually need to be aiming for? And then how many properties are we going to need to accumulate that wealth? But ultimately, what's the last four years about? It's about how do we get in the position that eventually we've got a big pot of money that we then have some choices about. And we might buy some properties and we just live off the rent, or we might just spend the cash. That's why we choose good growth areas, because we want the properties to go up in value. But we've also got to hold those properties over the long term. So we're trying to find good yield areas at the time. We're also trying to manage our top up. And sometimes that means that we've got to spend less or find ways to create that top up. We've got to deal with tenant risk. We've got to deal with natural disaster risk. We do all of these podcasts, but what's it all about? It's about how do we get in the position where we've got two and a half or $2 million at the end of it, maybe a bit more, maybe a bit less, depending on how your specific numbers work. And all of this financial modeling is just so you have some options at some point in the future when you want to stop working. And that's the last four years of our lives. Yeah, and I think it's really important to kind of remember the why, because it's really hard right now. Four years ago when we started this podcast, interest rates were lower, prices were lower, banking was probably easier, we didn't have as high inflation, and so it probably was easier to be a property investor right there. But the why hasn't changed for most people. Like most people still want to live a comfortable retirement, spend time with their family, go on holidays, buy a car every now and then, upgrade the house, all those kind of nice things that we work really hard for in our work life to be able to get 
So it's always important to remind yourself of the why. And actually, lots of investors that I work with, I know they stick their wealth plan to the fridge while they're working through due diligence or they're finding top-ups painful to remind themselves every time they go into the fridge why they're doing this because it can get a bit hard to remember the future us sometimes. And of course, there are risks with this. If you're going to invest in property, you're going to be taking out debt. Then we've got interest rate risk, we've got tenant risk. You know, maybe the properties don't always increase in value as much as we'd like, or as much as you might put the numbers into your spreadsheet. Of course, they don't. The numbers don't work out exactly as you put them in a spreadsheet. I wish they did. It'd be, there was, <laughs> be nice. there's, there'd be like so little risk in that case. <laughs> but ultimately, what are we doing this for? So we've got a pile of money that we then have some options with. And let me just ask you, Andrew, before we wrap up, you know, what sort of options are you looking for in your future? You know, what does that look like for you? I think for me, I just like the idea of being able to not work as much. And I say I like the idea because I actually love coming to work. And so so I like the idea that if I wasn't able to work, that I could still live the lifestyle that I want. Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And take, we are touring the country later in October, November, directly after the election. We're calling it the Wealth Plan Tour, and we're going to show you how you can retire early with two to five properties, effectively the stuff that we're talking about in this podcast today. You can secure your spot. Just go to opuspartners.co.nz slash tickets, and we cannot wait to meet you in person. Listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. We're going to be back here tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.